listening to your frontline teammates, caring what they think, ensuring they feel heard, making sure they are supported, providing them with growth opportunities, manager support, strong team dynamics, a safe workplace, and other support that fits around their life. Like that's also just you as a company helping 500, 1,000, 10,000, 50,000 people have a better life. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76. This episode is brought to you by Prolific, an account planning solution that enables manufacturing sales teams to log key information and build account plans right inside of Salesforce, rather than resorting to sticky notes, spreadsheets, whiteboards, and slide decks. Learn more at prolific.ai. That's P-R-O. L-I-F-I-Q dot A-I. We hear a lot these days about how difficult it is to find frontline workers or workers in general, but what about retaining the people you already have? The truth is today's workforce wants something different than the workforce of a decade ago, or even the workforce of a pre-pandemic world. More than ever before, manufacturing leaders need to understand what makes their employees tick at a personal level how to help them grow in their respective careers, and what will motivate loyalty from them. Because it's never been more costly to watch your people walk out the door than it is right now. As my guest today will tell you, all of this starts with one simple task, listening. Let me introduce him. Dan Johnston is co-founder and CEO of Workstep. Workstep's software platform empowers companies to find and keep frontline employees for the long run. Prior to Workstep, Dan managed a third-party logistics warehouse and co-founded InstaEDU, an education technology company. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Joe. I'm excited. Yeah, my pleasure. And Dan, you know, the two biggest issues that I just keep hearing time and time and time again from manufacturers over the past couple of years are one, supply chain disruption and two, labor shortage issues. You're here to talk about the latter. From your perspective as a leader of a company that's all about hiring and retaining frontline workers, what's the problem here and how bad is it? Well, first of all, it's interesting you set up the question that way because Those two topics, supply chain disruptions and supply chain labor shortages, might not be as disconnected as one might think, right? When you see the headlines about, you know, container ships waiting outside the ports, often really what's happening is the drivers aren't there to pick them up. The warehouses are full of talent to unload those trucks when they get there. And so this supply chain labor challenge is really impacting the rest of the supply chain and in many cases causing or prolonging those broader disruptions. So to answer your question though in terms of what's happening 
and how bad is it in terms of the labor side specifically, right? It's been a long time since I've taken an economics course, but when demand goes up, right, we've seen an acceleration in e-commerce, 10 years of e-commerce growth in a year during COVID. We now have almost three times as many warehouse roles in this country today as we did a decade ago. So you've got this skyrocketing demand for supply chain talent. Consumer spending is still high. Jobs are moving from retail to distribution. So every company is growing. Of course, Amazon being the elephant in the room. But supply is stagnant, right? You've got turnover higher than it's ever been. You've got companies unwilling to invest in upskilling their workforce because of that constant turnover. And you've got a rise in you know, flexible work alternatives and other things that people can be doing with their time. And this mismatch between the demand for supply chain talent and the supply of it is causing all sorts of headaches for manufacturers of all sizes, as well as logistics companies. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about those things more hand in hand. I've had a lot of conversations on this podcast and with clients and prospects about both of them, but not as much as they relate directly to each other. But I mean, everything you're saying is right on the money. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I don't I don't mean to sort of belabor it. I mean, the supply chain, it's all interconnected, right? I yeah. mean, anybody who's listening to your podcast knows that. And mm -hmm. so, you know, when the trucks aren't there at the port of Long Beach to pick up the container because of a driver shortage, that ripples all the way through the rest of the chain in a very meaningful way. Sure. Well, Dan, let's talk a little bit here about turnover specifically. You know, at this point, everybody is familiar with the term, the great resignation. It sort of characterizes this moment in time. Why do you think turnover is such a problem right now? And what do you think is driving that? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head, Joe, in the sense that the great resignation is being reported thoroughly nationally, right? This isn't just a, a supply chain problem, right? Workers are quitting their jobs in the United States at rates that we've never seen before, at least in measured history, though I would imagine prior to that as well. Uh, they're quitting their jobs at more than 2x the rate they were a decade ago. So this isn't just a supply chain problem, but when you look at turnover annualized in manufacturing, transportation, and warehousing, it's up basically every year of the last decade in all of these industries. And so you've got this real sort of acceleration of the rate at which workers are entering and leaving given employers in this space. Now, the reason why, I mean, obviously there's not a, a clean statistical breakdown, but what we're seeing broadly is, you know, a change in societal norms, right? Whereas decades ago, expectations might be to align one's career to an individual employer. That's just not the way, that's not what society necessarily expects anymore. But I think, you know, more prominently, this rise of flexible work, gig work, right? So today, you could leave your job in a factory and drive for Uber tomorrow or deliver for Instacart or DoorDash and get paid tomorrow. Whereas a decade ago, 20 years ago, if you left your job today, you might not see another paycheck for four weeks, give or take. Application processing payment delay, et cetera. 
And that enables workers to have a little bit more ownership over their own outcomes and their own satisfaction. So change the societal norms, rise of flexible work alternatives, and finally, the decreasing relevance of labor unions, right? If you look at labor union penetration in manufacturing, it's down decade after decade. And one of the values that labor unions historically provided are these wage and sort of other job benefit scales tied to tenure that gave you a very meaningful incentive to stay, right? If staying meant you knew you would make 10% more next year than last year, if staying meant you knew that it would mean that you moved from night shift to day shift, or from Tuesday, Wednesday off to Saturday and Sunday off, that provides a real incentive for you to stay with your current employer rather than leave to a new one. And so as all of those factors change at once, you're just seeing a workforce that is more mobile and really less tied to their individual employer across both manufacturing and logistics. So, you know, what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, maybe what matters to employees is probably a lot different than it was, you know, a few decades ago or even a decade ago, what do you find that frontline workers specifically are looking for from their employers at this point in time that may be different than in the past? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. You know, I think first and foremost, most humans, you, myself, we're looking for the same things, right? We're looking for meaning in our time. We're looking for growth and change. We're looking for financial security for ourselves and our family. And we're looking for meaningful relationships, right? Now that could be true of hobbies. It could be true of your job. It could be true of mine. It can be true of driving a truck, working in a factory, working in a warehouse, right? The humans are conditioned generally to be looking for similar things as it relates to jobs. Now, one thing that we do, and Joe, I don't think we've really talked about works separately at all. And this mm -hmm. certainly isn't a pitch, but yeah, we provide retention management software for companies in manufacturing, transportation, and logistics. And what that software does is it automates the collection of feedback from these distributed frontline workforces at scale. It surfaces issues in real time to management so they can get ahead of individual turnover outcomes. But I think most importantly, it ties that feedback to workforce outcomes to show every level of leadership, not just where are workers unhappy, but what is actually driving turnover within your workforce population. Mm -hmm. As an outcome of that model, we are able to look across the industry and say, what is driving workers to quit these jobs? What is different about the feedback being provided by a worker who stays? versus a worker who quits. Mm -hmm. And consistently what we're seeing is the number one driver of turnover is career growth. So to put another way, the employees in the supply chain and manufacturing who don't see growth potential within their company for themselves are the most likely to quit. And those workers who do understand the growth pathways available to them and feel like their company is willing to invest in them the same, same way they invest in the company are those who are staying with the same company for longer periods of time than their peers. 
And that's really powerful because everybody assumes it's pay or mm-hmm. it's schedule. But, you know, consistent, what we see is it's career growth, you know, it's onboarding, it's manager relationships. It's a lot of these other sort of softer themes. Yeah, I would absolutely believe that. It's really the same thing in my world as, you know, a marketing agency owner. People want to know that they're, what the future looks like for them, not only within the organization, but, you know, are, is the organization helping them get onto the career path they want and, and sort of supporting that. So it's not surprising to hear that, but I, to me at least, but I think that, I think a lot of companies are sort of overlooking that and making assumptions about, you know, that people just sort of care about the same stuff that people cared about 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's the danger of operating a business at scale, making critical decisions based on opinion, right? Which is Mm. to say, you know, in most manufacturing companies, labor, labor attention is number one or two concern on the mind of the CEO today. And when it comes to why are people leaving our organization or why are people leaving our organization more frequently than they ever have, or why are people working here for a week and then quitting? Normally that conversation coming down from the C-suite basically yields opinions like the environment, it's too physical, it's our frontline managers, it's our you know, split schedules. It's something we hear again and again and again from our partners is everybody has an opinion about what's driving turnover, but we don't have the facts. And typically people don't have the facts because a lot of their turnover is no call, no show. Basically, and I'm sure you're hearing this from operators everywhere, but employee doesn't show up one day to never return, gets their last paycheck, doesn't respond to an exit survey phone call. And, you know, their manager might add a reason to their HRIS, but that's a guess too. And so really what's important is for companies to say, okay, we are losing 20,000 employees a year, 10,000 employees a year, 1,000 employees a year. We need to be able to understand the why so that we can start to make headway on this rotating door of turnover because just applying our efforts to a guest might have absolutely no impact of course on whether we're turning over 40% of our workforce next year or 65% of our workforce next year. So if assumptions are being made or opinions being offered by whether it's C-suite or managers or whoever, and and I, I can totally see how that would be, you know, it's it's a guess, right? We're trying to figure out what we think's causing it. How do you get closer to a fact? Is it the words coming directly from the mouths of people who are, you know, who are s- still working for you or those who leave? Tell me how you how you get closer to, you know, knowing what the true reason is. Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit on the the first step is of course to listen which some companies do well, some companies do less well. 89% of frontline workers are more likely to stay at a company that they feel encourages and listens to their feedback, right? So the first step is to ensure that you have the processes and channels at scale that your frontline workers feel like they have a voice at the company that is heard. And that second part is important. Now, the next step is really to be able to analyze that feedback to understand what is actually 
the drivers of turnover before it happens. And so I think there's this idea in the industry, at least historically, where it's like, when somebody quits, ask them why they quit. And that is your data. And that's, well, A, it's, it's really hard to reach those people typically after they've already left. But B, what they say when they quit might not really be the experiences that drove them towards that openness to quit. And that's where you know, a data-centric platform like Workstep comes in is the ability to have the algorithms in the background that say, okay, looking at across your workforce in your production associate role, here is what the workers were saying at their seventh day for the population that stayed. And here is what the workers are saying at their seventh day for the population that left. And if you're able to address these challenges for this leaving population, you could expect this improvement in overall turnover. And so it starts again with listening to your frontline teams. That is sort of the base case, engaging with that feedback. The next step is really understanding what's driving turnover and then taking the right actions to improve on those challenges or themes, measuring the impact of those actions. And then you're sort of back at the start, right? It's okay, let's collect more data. Let's find the next best opportunity. Let's invest there. Let's collect data and sort of around the flywheel goes. Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Sticky notes, spreadsheets, whiteboards, slide decks. For many manufacturers, these are the places where key account details are stored. But the most effective manufacturing sales teams today are leveraging technology for strategic account management and for maintaining customer relationships. Two of those tools, Prolific Relationship Map and Prolific Crush, allow for real-time visibility into key account growth, new business pursuits, and which customers are at risk, and all right inside of Salesforce. Learn more at prolific.ai. That's P-R-O-L-I-F-I-Q dot A-I. Dan, you've mentioned to me that there's a set of signals that often precede turnover events. Can you talk about what some of those signals are? Yeah, it's, it's a lot of what we've, we've sort of already been discussing, Joe. It's, it's you know, dissatisfaction or misunderstanding of career growth. It's you know, feeling of this is a company that doesn't invest in my physical safety. It's challenges with manager or team dynamics or a feeling that your voice isn't either heard or the company is not providing you with any feedback. And, it, and these are, that's a number of themes and it can really differ based on the role, the company and the job type in terms of which of those themes end up being sort of the best forward indicator of turnover. Dan, how do you go about calculating the true cost of employee turnover? So I think this is a place where a lot of companies right now are sharpening their pencil. Basically, as the annualized turnover rates go up and as companies can tell that the cost is also going up, right? Cost of losing a supply chain worker is up approximately 50% over the last two years. Happy to talk about why. But as the cost per turnover event goes up and the number of turnover events go up, you know, every finance C-suite operation team is sort of sharpening their pencils here and saying, how much is this costing us and what can we do to move the needle here? So, you know, of course, the most obvious is, you know, somebody 
quit from a maintenance technician role, you start asking questions like, what does it cost us to go and find a new maintenance technician for that role in this market? Job advertising, maybe you want to go temp to perm, right? That's going to be more expensive. Like, what is the financial cost of sourcing a replacement? But that's really just where this begins, right? There's also, okay, what is the cost of those talent acquisition resources and hiring manager resources to manage that process of finding this new maintenance technician, right? In the meantime, while we wait for that new hire, are we using OT to bridge the gap? Because we probably didn't have an extra maintenance tech in that building at that time. What is the cost of that OT? When we do finally bring in this new hire, what is our cost of training? Basically, how long does it take them to be fully productive? What do they cost in the meantime, you know, at a maybe 50% productivity level? What are we paying our trainers and managers who are helping them get up to speed? And so those are sort of all of the, the hard costs that sort of go into this broad cost of turnover calculator. And what companies find is, you know, in the supply chain, they're seeing that nets out to anywhere between eight dollars and $50,000, depending on the role type and the company's specific circumstances per turnover event, which is not cheap, especially if you're operating a company at scale. And that's not even considering, you know, the softer costs, right? It, constant turnover reduces team morale, right? If you see all of your coworkers leaving, it decreases really your satisfaction in the job. I mean, we've sort of all been in a situation similar where you're like, hmm, Maybe there's something better else, else better out there because it seems like everybody else isn't happy here. Maybe I shouldn't be either. You know, with productivity, we've talked about safety, right? The lower your turnover goes, the less safety incidents you have. New employees are the most likely to have mm. safety incidents. And, and yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the, you know, it's, it's just, you know, accuracy, margins, work quality, like all of these things are tied in there as well. I imagine there's an opportunity cost in a lot of cases too, especially during a time like this when finding labor is this hard and you talk about frontline workers and when you have a mass exodus of people on the front lines, you may have machines that don't have people on them and now you're not producing at full capacity. And so it's, it's probably a lot of related opportunity costs that can tie in here too, I imagine. Yeah, I, uh, I think that's a really important point you brought up, Joe, whereas a few years ago, really, when we were talking, I mean, we've been working on this problem of frontline turnover in these sectors since this company was founded in 2017. And a few years ago, it was all about cost reduction, right? What are the costs of losing people? How do I create a more stable, lower cost per hire, higher retention workforce? Today, it really in the last 12 months, I would say, much more you're hearing about top line impact as well, mm. which is, you know, oh, we can deliver or we can do as much business as we can deliver, right? So if we lose a driver that takes a route offline, which is revenue straight off our top line, or it used to take, you know, in the, in the case of like a third party logistics company, it used to take us a month to get a new customer live. And now it takes us three months. So you're pushing out 
revenue from sales you've already made. Of course, in the manufacturing context, maybe it's just that you can't deliver as many units based on your labor availability. And so you're sort of getting hit on both sides where it's creating bottom line expense pressure, but it's also, I would say, suddenly impacting top line performance as well. And you're seeing that, you know, you're seeing that across the board and, you know, even earnings reports of large manufacturers and logistics companies where they're saying, you know, this is how labor and labor turnover is impacting our P&L performance. And what do you think are some of the smartest things that manufacturers can be doing right now to create work environments that make people want to stay? There are all sorts of investments that companies are making, right? You're hearing so much more about education benefits, on-site daycare, flexible scheduling is very hot right now. Just they're, 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 you know, the list goes on and on and on, which is, which is great. Let me be very clear. You know, a few years ago, there were some companies that basically had this attitude that was like, I don't really care. Right, like worker comes, worker goes, new worker in their place. That is not sort of like our core focus right now. And we're not really investing in being an employer of choice. Now, everybody cares because everybody sees this bottom and top line pressure that workforce turnover is creating, which is great because the things that a company does to improve their turnover are also the activities that make their company a better place to work, allow a worker to have a better job, which allows them to have a better life, right? The programs we just mentioned, education, daycare, flexible scheduling, that means a worker can move forward, earn more money, they have better home life balance, they can see their kids more, they can get better sleep, like whatever it is, these actions by companies are good for workers and that's just great to see from a human perspective. But I think that the first step for a company that wants to improve this challenge, again, is to listen to their workforce, like, and to really understand what are the pain points they are feeling? How does that differ by building, by role, new employees versus tenured employees? And how is that impacting their outcomes? And then using that data to say, okay, it really is all about scheduling, right? It really is this forced OT. It really is these split schedules, whatever it may be. Or, oh, it's really not about scheduling at all, right? Because if your employees who are happy with your scheduling and your employees who are unhappy with your scheduling are retaining at the same rate, going and investing in a massive scheduling program isn't going to move the needle, right? You might get positive feedback but you might not get the end state outcomes that you're hoping for. So really what a company needs to do first and foremost is build the programs to listen to their frontline teammates at scale objectively and in real time, right? So objectively means you're not just asking each manager to talk to their employees and then let you know what they said, because that's going to be filtered. And if you let it get filtered, a few times up the chain, it's going to be wildly different than reality. And it also needs to be real time, meaning you can't do this thing that manufacturers used to do, which is, oh, we run a survey in August, the results populate, 
we talk about it in November and in the new year, we, you know, draw out some change. It's like, well, in 2022, between the time of that survey and the time you start doing changes, 35% of your workforce has quit. So actually, a lot of that feedback is not even valid anymore. So you need something that is objective, where workers feel like they can speak their mind honestly, and it can't be translated on the way up and down. And real time, meaning the moment a worker experiences a pain point or provides feedback, leadership can see, rally around, and understand that sentiment from the front lines. Really smart insights and well said. Dan, is there anything you would like to add to this conversation that I didn't ask you about? You know, I think the most important thing for us, which is something we touched on somewhat briefly, is just that this is both a business opportunity for manufacturers and logistics companies, right? If you can improve frontline workforce turnover, you can do more business and you can save costs, right? So every company is waking up to the fact that being an employer of choice is good business. I mean, even like I mentioned Amazon's the elephant in the room, like they just restated their company mission statement from being the most world's most customer-centric company to being the world's most customer-centric company and best employer or something along those lines. And that's because they know that to deliver those outcomes for their customers, to get you that package same day, they need to have a engaged and retained frontline team that makes that possible, right? Otherwise, it's impossible for them to do that. But critically, it's also the right thing to do, right? So it's good business, but also listening to your frontline teammates, caring what they think, ensuring they feel heard, making sure they are supported, providing them with growth opportunities, manager support, strong team dynamics, a safe workplace, and other support that fits around their life. Like that's also just you as a company helping 500, 1,000, 10,000, 50,000 people have a better life. And that is a really great human opportunity as well. Like forget about the dollars and cents. It's like you have the opportunity as a leader to positively impact the lives of everybody within your organization. That's an opportunity you should want to take regardless of the dollars and cents. It's just nice that it also has a very clean ROI case. Nice way to put a bow on it, Dan. This was a really great conversation. Can you tell our audience how they can get in touch with you and also where they can learn more about Workstep? Sure thing. I mean, we're easy to find online, workstep.com. If anybody has any questions, my email is also just Dan at Workstep. So that's also easy as well. Beautiful. Well, Dan, thanks for doing this today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Joe. I appreciate it. You bet. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. Before we go, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsor, Prolific. Prolific is an account planning solution that enables manufacturing sales teams to log key information and build account plans right inside of Salesforce, rather than resorting to sticky notes, spreadsheets, whiteboards, and slide decks. Learn more at prolific.ai. That's P-R-O-L-I-F-I-Q dot A-I. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. 
If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com slash learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.